0: Powered by Riverside
1: Welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls podcast, episode 37. Uh, I want to give a huge shout out before we get into this episode to our loyal listeners. For those that don't know, I know the only two people that do know are Dan and Colin, but we hit a thousand downloads on the podcast um, so that's a credit to everybody who listens to this episode or to these episodes weekly. And we wouldn't be still doing this if it wasn't for the people that are sharing with five friends. Obviously, we hope to hit 2000 a little bit quicker than we hit a thousand, but super excited, super fired up for what this podcast has become so far. We're excited about the growth that we can have. So a thousand downloads on the podcast through 36 episodes. It's just awesome to say you guys got anything for our loyal fans and, and appreciation for them.
0: Thank you. Let's go. Yeah, thank you and let's go. Yeah,
1: I mean, like I said, I I hope it's the beginning of many more thousands of downloads. Maybe next time we'll we'll be attributing a thousand download episode. Like we have in a thousand – views on one of our youtube videos and of course it's the video of teddy and brady um it has (laughs) nothing to do with baseball it has nothing to do with us so finally reached the thousand view mark and it was because of our dogs so that's that's a worthwhile um all that time that i spend on those tiktok videos
2: (laughs) everyone knows sex and dogs (laughs) sell
1: That's true. That's true. Now I'm going to have to put the explicit sign on this on this podcast cuz you just said the S word and and we can't be doing that. But we we don't we don't
2: Listen, I'm easing everybody in for whenever we have skip on. <laughs> The, explicit, the explicit's going to have to go up right away when we skip on.
1: Uh, well, I'll start that podcast off with a little bit of a conversation about, all right, guys, just just as a heads up, like, for, for all, all the, the young ears pair. out there, make sure, make sure you understand this is what college baseball's like. Um, some people use um, some people use like, some people use right, some people use all these filler words. He tends to use something else, and... <laughs> And since I said that within the first three minutes of the episode, I know he's still listening. Rumor, yeah, yeah. Rumor has it he tunes out that the, after five minutes and fast forwards to the end. Love you, Skip. <laughs> we do That's love funny. you. And we're really excited to get you on this podcast. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, here soon before before the season starts. But um, super excited about carry. this. Yeah, it live coming to you live from from USA Baseball. Maybe. <laughs> Make sure they make um so sure they win. yeah exactly we might we might get them on a bad day if they don't but um super excited for this episode that we got for for you guys today um we're going to kind of fill in on some MLB transactions here recently I know we haven't covered the the everyday MLB free agency trade market um all those things like that so obviously we've had a flurry of moves here um, in the last couple days, a pretty big trade between the, the Miami Marlins and the Minnesota Twins, where the Minnesota Twins are saying sending Luis Arias for Pablo Lopez and yes, Pablo Lopez and and more, Jose Salas and Byron Churio, uh, Alder Berto, I botched that up. He's Alberto to me. Dan fixed the, the spelling on that one. So for Josh Taylor and a player to be named later, also um, heading or heading to the Boston Red Sox there. And then Michael Taylor also heading to the Minnesota Twins for Evan Sick and Steven Cruz. Dan, right off the bat, initially looking at, at these Fleury of moves, what are some of your thoughts?
2: Well, first off, I just want to say I think you did a wonderful job with the names there. I know uh tripped you up. <laughs> So I just, look, man, I'm proud of you. You got through it, um, spell it out, and you did a good job there. Uh, I guess, you know, Michael Taylor for uh, those, you know, kind of low-level prospects that are guys that, you know, aren't too exciting, but that's kind of the return you would expect for uh, a guy like Taylor who's been a good defensive outfielder for a long time. And uh, it's kind of crazy to look back and think that Michael Taylor's been in the big leagues for 10 years. It's wild. I know he had one good suit. Right? Oh. Exactly. <laughs> Colin's face is like, yeah. That's what I thought. That's what I said yesterday too. It's wild. Um, but a really good defensive outfielder. And I mean, I don't know if this is Byron Buxton insurance um, for like you know Buxton's obviously fallen on the on the on the IL unfortunately way too many times in his career. And also you know now you can get Buxton off his feet because Buxton's a Gold Glove center fielder. And to get Michael Taylor. Um, you can kind of spell him and say, hey, Buxton can take some some days off during the week. You could give him a day off every every week and, and just let him DH and, and don't lose the quality of center fielder you have when he's out there. So I love that move. And for the Royals, they're clearly, I guess, unloading now. Like late in the winter, they've decided that we're just going to move on. Like you would have thought Alberto Mondesi was a guy that's going to be in their future for the next 10 years. The, the next time the Royals are winning, you would have thought he would be been their shortstop. So that was kind of interesting for me from the Royals' side. Um, The Red Sox I, I hope we don't have to watch Adam Duvall Run around in center now Because maybe Kike Hernandez can do it Because like I felt really bad for Red Sox fans If we were going to watch Kike Hernandez Play everyday shortstop And Adam Duvall play everyday center field Nothing against those guys as big leaguers But like 162 games to have guys out of position Like, Trust me I'm As a Phillies fan I remember watching 100 games of Reese Hoskins in left field And it's a train wreck Like, It's not fun um, and, again, nothing against Reese Hoskins. He's not a left fielder. So trying to do that was just interesting to me. And I've been very critical of, of Heim Bloom so far um, because I just haven't understood what he's doing. And when he tries to piece things together, it hasn't made sense. This move finally with Alberto Mondesi, a guy who's going to be a really good defensive shortstop. Is he Xander Bogarts? No. But he can really play defense. He's a much better hitter than I think people give him credit for. I still think he has room to grow there. Not bad. Um, I feel like I'm rambling at this point. But the Arias deal – I I'll let you guys go first. I don't get it from the yeah. Marlins. I just we'll, we'll don't get it. understand.
1: Yeah, we'll get into that. And, and speaking of the Arias deal, um, Jose Salas, who is a piece in that trade, is somebody that Colin played in, with, in the Arizona Fall League. So, oh, Colin, yeah. give us a little rundown on, on him and, and what he's all about.
0: I liked him. He was just like... Great. Like first off, like I always like to base people off just like how they are around the clubhouse, and he was just a solid clubhouse guy. Always energetic, saying hi, how you doing? Like laughing, having a good time. So I loved him in the clubhouse. Seeing the dugout even better, cheering everybody on. Like wants everybody to do well. So I think that's really important. Just it's not on the top of my head, but he is a good player. I mean, just I feel like he can play a lot more positions. I mean, is a lefty, so he can play all outfield positions, but he's i mean he's just like a scrappy dude in my opinion like he's just like a tough out every time he was up there it was like just hey hey, this is between you and i and i'm not going away until you can prove it but i think it's a good i think it's gonna be a good spot for him hopefully he does well and i'm sure he's excited he's a young kid i think he's what 20 19 20 21 years old he's really young so he's got plenty of time to still develop before you know hopefully gets a shot but And, you know, from what I saw, the short season, I had a good time with him. Thought he was a good player, good dude, just all around good human being. Yeah, a lot of
1: positive reviews uh, from what I've read with Salah specifically and even Churio to a a further extent of being that third piece that a lot of people that follow the Marlins system on the whole or think that the Twins did really well there, uh, not even really mentioning the Pablo Lopez piece which is a controllable starter and and that'll kind of bring us to what the Marlins are doing in fact um, which is like Dan mentioned kind of questionable we we all I at least I know Dan and I believe that the twins made out pretty good here um, so you know the Marlins obviously they they struggled a little bit last year and there's a tweet by Mike Petriello that I kind of want to read off to, to kind of get this conversation started here Um. And it was tweeted in October 1st, the MLB Trade Rumors tweeted that the Marlins were prioritizing high contact hitters this offseason, which quite frankly, they did what they were saying they were going to do. Um, they got Luis Arias, who might be the best contact hitter in the game. And Mike Petriello tweeted, this whole premise is super interesting to me. They do strike out a lot, fifth highest K percentage, so adding contact, great but also they have the fifth-worst slugging when contact is made. So it seems less about a type of hitter and more about just needing good hitters, style independent. He continued in Hua's next tweet. Like, I get that the Cleveland model seems appealing, but the Guardians also have a legit MVP bat, maybe two, depending on how real you think Jimenez is, and strong defense and excellent pitching and play in a much weaker division than Miami does. It's never just make more contact. So... With that tweet, that kind of hit me square in the, the chest in the offseason. Like, wow, I, this is going to be something that I feel like we're going to talk about with the Marlins. So, um, Dan, initial thoughts just with the Marlins' thought process there and then also kind of go into what Mike Petriello said, and I think that's going to kind of kickstart what we kind of want to talk about here.
2: Well, outside of stylistically, and again, this just kind of goes back to what I was saying with the Red Sox, is I don't – why – like, When you're roster building, you go out, you you have Jazz Chisholm, who's never been a shortstop really. He's a second baseman. He's really athletic. He's a super athletic guy. He's got some juice. You have him on the roster, and he's a guy who was an all-star last year. He's probably a centerpiece of your organization right now. You give Gene Segura a two-year $17 million deal. That's your second second baseman. You have Joey Wendell, who's a utility man, but he's probably best slotted at second or third. So that's three of those guys, none of which are true shortstops. You have John Birdie on the roster, who's another guy who's primarily a second baseman. And then you trade for Luis Arias, who's a fifth second baseman. Now, just from a roster-building standpoint, outside of the style of what they do with the at-bats, it's like, why? what are you going to do with five second basements? Now, obviously, the story has come out. Jazz Chisholm went to the— the front office which good for jazz he's awesome like he's a super exciting player and i love watching him and and he's just an awesome personality um he's also gotten to grom like more than once which if you're a big leaguer you can like if you're anyone and can say that like you're you're probably a dude (laughs) um but uh like he went and he he went to the front office and was like, "Put me in center, I'll win a gold glove." Which like great for Jazz, and he probably can because he's so athletic. But what about the other four second basements you now have on your roster? You just committed all that money to Segura, so you're probably gonna have to put him in the lineup every day. So now he's playing third base. You have uh, a trade for Luis Arias, who you just gave up a significant hole in my mind. When you're talking about Pablo Lopez, who's a guy who I loved since he came up. I love, you know, his arsenal and what he does. Um, and you give up two pretty good prospects on top of it for him. And obviously he was, an, again, a is an all-star, so I get that. But he's an all-star because of what he does average wise right he's not a great defensive second baseman played a lot of first in minnesota last year like doesn't move all that well so it's just like it's a weird thing because he's probably gonna have to play the bulk of second base because you have jesus aguilar he'll probably play some first to get some of these other second basemen in the lineup i guess birdie but like your one spot then that like if we're gonna make moves and i said this to you the other day trevor it's like one you're you're now banking on jordan Groshans taking a huge step and being able to be the guy at shortstop and on top of that, if it's me and I'm just thinking about roster construction, like if I'm going to make that trade and lose those assets to do that, and I'm going to need to, and I'm willing to displace Jazz Chisholm, why wouldn't I just keep Jazz Chisholm in second and take a flyer on Cody Bellinger? Yeah. He's going to give you gold glove defense and center, which clearly I think they're prioritizing defense, although again, I'm not sure what they're prioritizing other than contact hitters. Contact. But why? Why? so like it's just a little bit puzzling to me and it frustrates me a little bit because the marlins are a franchise who have shown that they can draft and develop a little bit and they always have right they've made two world series runs and it's been on the backs of young guys that they've had i get that they're not willing to commit a ton of money but cody bellinger was an inexpensive former mvp who has 40 plus homer potential and a change of scenery was needed if you could give that guy health and a change of scenery the cubs made out like bandits on it but like I just don't get kind of the avenue there for the Marlins. Again, Bellinger's going to punch out, but at some point you're going to have to drive in these runs.
1: Yeah, and and we'll get into the Pablo Lopez aspect, but you're you're talking about a 26-year-old starter who's controllable for multiple years cheap and is above average and gave the Marlins 180 above average innings last year not to mention the the aging curve of a starting pitcher which again we can get into because you're talking about we've seen how many guys have we seen peak from 28 to 32 and how many of us would be shocked with Pablo Lopez's repertoire if he didn't grow into something much better than what he is and you talk about that developmental curve so we can get into the Pablo Lopez angle but Colin I want to ask you this from from a pitching standpoint is obviously there's a shift in Major League Baseball right the player development side of things Mm -hmm. the launch angle craze all those things like that we talk about guys when you're trying to go through a lineup one two three times right and let's just put in a perspective that there's nine Luis Arias is right scrappy guys guys that make a lot of contact they're impossible to strike out or nine let's just say hypotheticals Cody Bellinger's nine Joey Gallows and things like that. Take us through the mindset of, you know, what the difference is between attacking them, maybe the pros and cons of each side and maybe why the Marlins might be going in this direction or why you might kind of almost disagree with that and and you almost fear those Cody Bellingers and Joey Gallows a little bit more.
0: I think like first off, like from my perspective, I'm I'm a heavy strike thrower, like I throw a lot of strikes, so when you get a lineup with a lot like a lot of Like what they call, I guess, contact guys. Most of the time, I'm just attacking him. I'm just like I'm going right after him, pitch after pitch. Like I'm gonna be in the zone all the time. Because I mean, you got it's him versus nine other dudes. Like the chances are still so small. I put the ball in play. Like there's still chances of him getting out. But I think then when you face a lineup where you get dudes like Joey Gallo and Bellinger, big swing and miss guys, like it changes your approach. You're not gonna leave as many pitches. You know over the heart of the plate and take your chances with it because those guys aren't missing them. (laughs) They are not going to miss those. But it's just interesting to see, you know, a major league team with how the game is completely shifting now to the home runs, doubles, triples, power, like all launch angle stuff. Now they're going backwards almost in a way to just, hey, just put the the bat on the ball. Like it's almost like you're in literally like two strikes. I just put the ball in play. It's like that – that – that had – that idea of hitting has, I feel like, completely vanished. I think like two strikes approaches have completely changed. But just as like a pitcher, like I get a contact guy, like I'm I'm gonna go right after him. Like if he doesn't have much power, like I know he's not gonna hurt me for extra bases. Like if he gets a single, so what? Like I get a get a ground ball, a double play. But yeah, dudes, like you know the power guys swing and miss dudes. Like you got to be careful. And if you walk them, they're not gonna steal a base either. But You'd rather you know give up a single to a contact guy than give up a homer to somebody that can really run into a, like a gal or a Bellinger. But it is interesting to see how they're going with their hitting perspective. I'm interested to see how that trickles down through their minor league system, if they're kind of completely shifting their view on everything. But I guess we'll see in a couple months, like see how it really plays out for them, see how they do.
2: Colin, yeah, how, and, and, how about like yeah. – sorry, Trevor. I just – Colin, how much mm-hmm. do you – think about it just for me when i'm thinking about this too when you're talking about like kind of the you know not necessarily fear but you have to kind of work around the, the power hitters a little more mm-hmm. whereas contact guys you're willing to attack because you know you can be in the zone and you know when you're relying on contact right sometimes you can hit a ball 110 but it's added guy right If it's over the yeah. fence it's it's over the fence right and how much more taxing is it to try and work around guys like when you go into when you're facing guys who are contact you're talking about like how much easier is it to just like oh i'm not going to be as taxed because i know i can just attack and be in the zone whereas if you got three four five guys who are all going to lose them consistently how much more taxing even is that and now you're talking about pitch count and cutting your outing short right
0: yeah it can be more stressful but i mean i like i still keep the same mindset of like attacking dudes like I'm not right. just going to go out there and bounce breaking balls in the dirt just because, like, oh, this guy could run into a fastball here. But I think it's a difference of, like, your misses. When you're – miss, like, with contact is, if you're going fastball, you know, down away, like, if it runs back over, like, okay, like he might have a better shot at it. But if you're going after, you know, like those guys, like three, four, five in the lineup, guys that are known for power, it's a matter of, uh, like, knowing that if you're going away, you better miss away. So um, so I think a lot of the time, like, with contact dudes, like, you can get away with stuff. But I think with, you know, big power dudes, your misses have to be where you're going. You're going slider down. You better miss down. <laughs> you're going exactly. change up down, like, down away. You better miss down away. You better not leave it a plate. When we get a contact dude, you don't have to be as fine. You don't have to hit the Dixie Cup. You don't have to hit the black on the on the plate every time. You might get away with stuff, but...
1: Yeah, and that, that's always been the most kind of important factor to me is just when you tap into the mind of a pitcher is the fear factor, right? Like It's like you could make a mistake to a Luis, Luis Arias and it's like, oh, he's standing on first base, whatever. You make a mistake to Cody Bellinger and you, he's walking the dog and he's got three runs scoring potentially, especially if there's traffic on base. And that tells me all I need to know about why MLB organizations prioritize these things why as hitters we need to inflict as much damage damage as possible and obviously there's a balance to these two things but like that's what the most important thing to me is just kind of looking at it from that perspective of being like hey like pitchers aren't going to attack these like even when Joey Gallo was going through the worst of the worst through his slump with the Yankees is like He was still getting his walks because, you know, guys were still throwing 2-0 split fingers. Guys were still throwing 3-1, you know, fastballs way above the zone because they understand that, like, this guy might stink right now. He might not have a hit since April, but he could still get me. And if it's late in the game, like, that's an impactful swing of the bat. Whereas for these guys like Luis Arias, like, there is not that fear factor. And one of the most important things that you mentioned is that guy that gets on the first base – Okay, well, if it's in Adalberto Modese, right? Okay, what's the value of him getting the first base? Well, this is a guy who steals like 40 Take bags. Second. John Birdie with the Marlins, he stole 40 bags. Luis Arias has eight steals in in four seasons. Doesn't even so doesn't this move. is a guy who gets, he, he
0: gets on first he base, gets on so first base. He just
1: stays there. And, like, you talk about, like, the double play being in play. Like, you talk about a pitcher's mentality. It's. I don't think there's a... Very much of a difference of guy on first and nobody on. You're just like, ah, like I'll still attack this next guy. Mm -hmm. And if he's not, that guy might have value if he's backed up by a guy who could bring him in. But who's backing him up in this Marlins lineup? And it's just that's when you unpack this whole thing, it just doesn't make sense. I'm
2: going to play devil's advocate here for a second, obviously, um, just for fun. My point, and the only point is, is I can also see the value of it being taxing. Where if you do have a handful of guys who just will are relentless at the plate and don't strike out and they can't find things, I think that they're leaning a little bit too much into the no shift thing because most of the time when you have these contact hitters, they're not getting shifted anyway, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm, I don't, I'm, yeah, can't say off mm-hmm. the top of my That's head, but Luis Rios Luis isn't getting shifted, I don't think, because no. he sprays spray the ball, so he's too, playing straight up, so even right, yeah. so I don't think that that works here. But I can see value in like, okay, you got five guys who refuse to go down. Then that's going to make it a tough lineup and tough outs there too, which there's a ton of value in that, obviously. And we've seen that. I mean, you look at the really good teams. The Astros not only have juice, but they have a bunch of guys who really are just tough outs. Yeah, they battle. Um, Right. But I think their thinking too is like if you get Jesus Aguilar and Jorge Soler who can be healthy and show the power that they can, then maybe they have the bats there. But then you start to question – Okay, well, Soler and Aglar have both have one season of thirty-plus home runs each. You're not talking about, yeah. you know, this isn't Cody Bellinger who's put up forty twice. It isn't Kyle Schwarber who puts up forty every year. It isn't Jordan Alvarez who's just like the best player on hitter on the planet. It's not Fernando Tatis. It's not these guys who have this legit juice. It's guys who have that power potential, but th- they've shown no reason to why we can expect them to to just tap into it and be consistently doing that. Here's my question for you guys, though, because I also want to think of it from a front office standpoint of the Marlins, and I wonder if you're seeing this with our teams, because you saw the Red Sox who have the bank account, but they were kind of making moves that seemed like they were trying to get creative, right? We talked about Duvall in center, now Albert, Montessi. Do you think because of how much some of the teams at the top have been spending this offseason – That teams that don't have that financial flexibility like the Marlins, if they want to compete, they're now trying to find more creative ways to not spend as much but still be able to compete. And it's just got to look different.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's that's everything. And and, and it's such a good point, too, is when – you know, the, what's the thing you and I have talked about for years, Dan, is market inefficiencies, right? And there's definitely a market inefficiency for contact high contact guys, right? There's definitely a, a market for those guys and especially you take away the shift rules like you said. Arise isn't getting shifted but maybe there's some other guys that might benefit from that. And you have to go about it differently. You have to go about it in, in a unique way because you don't have the the Boku bucks to throw at the Xander Bogart to the world who you might love, who's that complete hitter. And I think that's the biggest thing too that, that I almost – like you said like when you mention all their infielders like there's nothing different and Jorge Soler and Hazer's Aguilar like those guys are a little bit different but you have to have a balance of everything's in those teams that are able to target those market market inefficiencies the best are the ones that stack contact or OBP contact guy power guy OBP contact guy power guy and you almost build a lineup one through nine with names then we'll get into Mondesi and why that's more of what I had expected from Chime Bloom for so many years, because that's a savvy move to get a guy that might not be able to produce as much, but he fits what you need and be able to stack that. But and maybe the Marlins aren't trying to get there, but I aren't there yet. They're trying to get there is what I'm trying to say. But I feel like Pablo Lopez is is a lot of to give up for to kind of kinda head in that right direction.
0: I agree. I was just thinking like Trev as like a like a pitting coach, like coach and stuff, like how like how do you just tell a guy just like just put the bat on the ball? Like you like you draft dudes, like nowadays like everybody's like drafting like dudes with power, like big numbers, like and how do you just draft somebody like in the next couple of years to say, Hey man, slow it down? I know as a pitcher, like when you know, like Goliath like as a coach, like it's like hard to tell a kid I just throw strikes. Or like you get guys like, Oh, just slow it down a little bit. Just you know, just like 88 this way like don't try and overthrow it like as a pitcher like everything's out of sync everything's out of time you're all out of whack like everything is not on time. like it's it's a mess I know like I don't know how it is as a hitter but you just tell a guy hey stop trying to hit the ball hard like how much is that gonna affect their swing and like their approach like how is that gonna like really just affect like a great hitter like in a way like how is that I just doesn't fit right with me
1: yeah, I mean, it, it, it. I would be very surprised if the Marlins did do that with anybody. I mean, Jazz Chisholm's kind of the prototypical swing and miss guy that they've kind of let grow, and there there have been some bumps in the road there, but he's obviously, you know, he he's kind of the, the straw that stirs this drink in this whole scenario because if Jazz Chisholm produces a Jose Ramirez level, like, then you're starting to look like the, the Guardians a little bit more. But, you know, there are a lot of people out there that do kind of, Say those things. That's kind of been the age-old like argument of you know between new school and old schools. A lot of people prioritize putting the ball in play, and there's a time and a situation there, right? You know, runner on third, less than two outs. Like we got to put the ball in play, right? Plain and simple. You know, I used to teach nobody on, nobody out with two strikes, (laughs) take your A swing because that was how I played, and, and you have more value getting yourself to second base. There's no difference. You know, at the upper levels, there's no difference between a strikeout and a ground ball to second base because those are outs at the big leagues level. Now, when you get into the college game, there is an aspect of putting the ball in play with two strikes. you could be playing on a bad field. It hits a rock. You get on base, you score a run because of that. But that's besides the point, you know, from a hitting perspective, it definitely impacts hitters. It definitely is something I think more mentally than anything. You don't want guys swinging a wet noodle because I mean, exit velocities tell us that, you know, the higher the exit velocity, the more likely it is to fall for a hit, whether it's on the ground or in the air. So that's always been the priority for me is hit it hard first and then figure out, you know, launch angle and things like that. But, you know, it, it's definitely an impact. So, you know, if I did hear that, find out that the Marlins were doing that, I I could go on for an hour and a half talking about how detrimental that would be to their prospects potential. But, you know, I'd be very surprised if a savvy, you know, player development run organization did that, um, especially for guys that have developed, but it, it would be a huge impact for guys.
2: So I guess my question too, with the jazz thing, like where Again, I love Jazz, and I think he's going to be a great player. But where could he develop into that bat? Still, yes. But wouldn't you profile Jazz more of a Tim Anderson type? And, I mean, when you look mm-hmm. at it, just from, like, the extra base standpoint even, like, Jazz Chisholm had 42 extra base hits in, in 21, which was his last full season, his only full season in the Bigs. <laughs> Tim Anderson that year, his last full season in the Bigs, he had 48. But what's the difference? Tim Anderson has a three thirty eight OBP, and he's getting on at a, at a clip where he's also hitting three hundred nine you know so it's just tough i just for me it's 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 just a i understand and it's a tough way and i think it is though you have to get create some of these teams are having to try and find ways to get creative and i think this is the way the marlins are going about it um and the marlins can pitch and play defense so maybe this works out great cuz maybe you're only scratching off four or five runs and you're winning games so you're not trying to outslug teams to get to the postseason but once you get into the postseason you got to lose you got to lose it once in a while we see it homers Homer's, what do you say? All postseason, Trev. What wins postseason games? Three yeah. run, dingers. three run
1: home runs win.
2: Yep. Right. Game six of the World Series, the Astros. It's a one one game, and Jordan Alvarez goes three run dinger, wins the mm-hmm. World Series. Like you, NLCS game five, Bryce Harper hits a two run bomb. Like you got it. When you get into the postseason, you better have guys that scare people. So to get there, yes. If you want to talk about competing, which I don't know if the Marlins are ready to be in that conversation yet, but if they're you know, they're going to need some juice. Yeah,
1: no <laughs> doubt about that. And Araya and is, is such an interesting piece because, you know, his expected batting average, I mean, it's a 291. He's not that far off his career average. He's kind of a guy that could outperform his expected batting average. But you're also talking about an expected slug of a 412. You know, there's guys who hit 198 in this league who slug 412. You know, it's like, okay, and, and he's not a huge on-base guy. He's good on-base guy, but it's about a 60-point differential between his average. So this is like Adam Frazier getting traded. You know, you've had that great year and, and goes to the uh, Padres, right, and kind of struggles through the second half and struggled last year. You're, when you're relying on a guy who's in the 7th percentile of hard hit rate to – produce, like that's hard. I just said it. Exit velocity is the only thing you can correlate to the hits, right? That's it. And you're literally betting, putting prospect value, you're putting major league value, you're putting young, controllable assets into a guy that's in the seventh percentile of hard hit rate. I have a hard time believing that's going to pay off in the next four to five years. Sure, he could hit 280 this year, but Luis is hitting 280 is – might be less valuable than pablo lopez
2: and that's the thing that like for me i just want to make this clear i don't hate luis orias as the player i just don't no. see his fit with this team and what you gave up
1: yes 100 percent. yes and and let's let's talk about the other side of that that trade in in pablo lopez plus plus prospects right Pablo Lopez is a guy that at the trade deadline, teams like the Yankees, teams like the Orioles were very interested in. One, I mean I get the Marlins asking price, but I feel like the Yankees and the Orioles probably should have been more involved in getting a guy like that because I do – well, the Yankees not as much after they signed Rodon, but I would have loved to see him with the Orioles with that ownership and with that management group that is doing what they've done. I would have loved to see Pablo Lopez, but maybe the – Maybe the Marlins had their ask with Arias, and the Twins were probably licking their chops, getting a guy who is 26 years old, controllable. Um, he has well above-average hard hit rates at 71st percentile. He has about average K percentage. He has above average whiff percentage. He has above average chase rate. He's not a high VLO guy. But his stuff plays up a little bit. Sure, he gets barreled, but he's kind of that prototypical guy that's going to pitch with his fastball a little bit up in the zone, primarily a fastball guy. And he's going to get clipped on occasion. If you can kind of we've seen it time and time again, these guys that are kind of like this that get clipped a little bit too much and give up just a little bit too many homers when that switch flips on in their brain and it starts to click for them at 28, 29, 30, because we've talked about how pitchers are producing at a much higher rate later in their career, because they know their body, they know their stuff, they know how to play, you know, Colin, when you look at a guy who's only two years older than you and controllable and productive and everything like that, I mean, if you're the Minnesota Twins, how, how excited are you to get, to get this guy?
0: I'm pumped. I mean, like with how like pitchers nowadays, like high low and stuff, like just the body, that's a lot of tear on the arm. And you get a guy that goes out there and, you know, has decent velocity, but there's 180 innings. Like, you know, how about it is. I remember my coach in college said, you know, if you're, I mean, one, reliable, but durable, if you can make every start, every fifth day you go out there every single time and you put together, you know, five-plus innings, I mean, as, like, a, if I'm a manager, like, I love that. I love a guy that you know what you're going to get each time. But, you know, there's pros and cons that, like, oh, uh, here's what I'm going to get. I know I'm just going to get five innings. Like, uh, so what? There can also be some cons of that. But, I mean, from my perspective, like, I, I – I, I've always loved that. Like a guy that has great longevity goes out there every day, you know, feels great and can put together a solid start every time. I mean, I'm looking at, I mean, only had two point, what 2.6 walks per nine. And he had, still had 9.2 over the last nine by two Ks over the last uh, couple of years. I mean, that's still incredible at the big league level at 26 years old. I think he's only going to get better. I think he's only going to get, he's only 26. He's still got probably four or five really good solid years of his arm. And, I'm I'm excited to see where it goes for the twins. I mean that's that's gonna be a good move.
2: Yeah,
1: and the, the Twins are such a, a savvy organization when it comes to pitching development. I know they haven't had the big name starters per se, but they can definitely develop arms, and they specifically can develop develop arms at the big league level. So, Dan, when you look at Pablo Lopez, he's a guy whose K percentage went down between 21 and 22. But what's a, what do you think the ceiling is for him, and, and what can the Twins kind of milk out of him to, to kind of get him to reach that ceiling?
2: Well, I think Colin just hit the nail on the head. I mean, when you're talking about a guy who's going to be relentless in the zone, you're probably not going to ask him to be a one or a two, right? He's a mid-rotation arm, and mid-rotation arms are expensive. And you just got him. I mean, you yeah. look at the deals that some of the mid-rotation arms like Quintana and those guys signed this offseason. It's been that way for the last couple of years. Mid-rotation starting pitchers when they hit free agency are expensive. So if you can develop them or get creative in trades like this, it's huge. And we just talked about the value that you got when you gave up on Arias who – the Twins, frankly, didn't need – like I know he was an all-star for them, but if you look at the Twins roster, you like especially now that they've re-signed Correa, they didn't need Luis Arias at all. I think that to, to get a guy like Pablo Lopez who slots into the middle of your rotation plus prospects for Luis Arias is a steal, and every team should be like, wow. I mean, I, and, and he was a guy who was heavily wanted at the deadline, as you mentioned, and, and his ceiling is – I mean – he could be an all-star. He was almost an all-star last year. I mean, you're talking about a guy who threw to a sub-three and in 100 innings in the first half last year. He got banged up coming out of the break, and he kind of he struggled a little bit in the second half. But this is a guy who's 26 years old, who knows how to pitch, right, and is going to continue to learn how to get out to the big league levels, right? All that information that he's gaining, all that experience that he continues to get every time he gets outs and continues to make starts and logs innings. He's only he's the type of guy where the longevity is there. Right, they're rare nowadays. Right, a lot of guys are, are playing off stuff, and that's amazing because stuff truly is the best thing you can have. Right, and, and Colin can even attest to that. Like, if you have great stuff, you, your future is bright. But if you can be a guy who can get outs the rate Pablo Lopez does, and doesn't need to necessarily just rely on stuff alone. But, you know, moves the ball around, has multiple plus pitches in the zone for strikes and can keep hitters off balance and frustrate guys, especially in a world where we're striking out a lot. And if you can just be relentless in the zone and, and, you know, start to rack up K's, I would be surprised if his K rate didn't go up this year.
1: Yeah. And and I think back to what kind of both of you guys said, and, and Colin talked about how his college coach said it is the best ability is availability. Right And and there's definitely a ton of value in in the guy that's going to take the ball. He's going to be relentless in the zone. He's going to pound the strike zone, and he's going to compete, and he's going to give you a good outing. And that's on the surface level of getting a guy that, You know what he is. That's not even factoring in the fact of how much he could progress over the next couple of years, how much he can do in your farm system. Did you see something that maybe the Marlins hadn't seen? We've seen it time and time again, and we've seen guys that develop. Like he's only 26 years old. He's young and controllable, and he's going to be with the Twins for multiple years. And like you said, I mean, if he was banged up in the second half of the year to finish the year with, you know, making 32 starts, which is pretty much every taking the ball every fifth day and, 180 innings with almost a strikeout per inning at a 3.75. Talking about a guy who's banged up a little bit, man. If I'm the Twins, I'm, I'm fired up, and I got prospects too.
2: I just, I well, got what I, that like pitcher like said, makes I, on the open market, like that con- yeah. If he was a free agent this year, the con- what the Twins would have had to pay to get him. It's crazy. It Even twenty million dollar a year pitcher.
1: Crazy, and, and and I think the crazier part too to me is what the asking price was for the Yankees and for the for the Orioles to the point where they couldn't pull the trigger. I mean, I get it. The Marlins might value Luis Arias as much as you know we on the outside value a Gunnar Henderson. For all we know, right? They think they're getting a superstar and a and a, and a stud. But you know, because we don't know the inner workings of what that organization's prioritizing right now. But you know, it to for those two teams to balk. At a guy that they really wanted tells me that that either the asking price came down for Arias or the Marlins are overvaluing Arias, which is probably a mix of both, right there. So it's real interesting. Uh, we'll definitely see how how these this trade unfolds. You know, I'm, I'm super excited to see Pablo Lopez in a Twins uniform, and who knows if if Jazz continues to grow into the the player he could be if jorge soler kind of grows comes back and and hits for a ton of power who knows maybe Arias fits into that lineup perfectly but you know you got joey wendell john birdie and a lot of uh and gene segura playing a lot of baseball in my mind and and that doesn't sound like a playoff contender to me
2: we're not in preview season just yet we're not in preview season just yet i understand that we're getting close right we got a couple weeks probably in the next couple (laughs) weeks we're gonna start preview season I'm going to give everyone a sneak peek. I am super high on the Minnesota Twins. Super I like that. High. You look at that like roster it. right now, and you think about so, some of the arms that they have hidden that if, if they come back from injuries that are young, like people forget Chris Paddock is a Minnesota Twin. Yeah. Simeon Woods, Woods Richardson, who I love, is a Minnesota Twin. Like, And then you look at the depth that they have position player-wise. Like, uh, Does anyone remember that Joey Gallo is a Minnesota Twin? Like, I remember. That, you, know that, I remember. You, got his you have his twins jersey already hanging on the wall. But I'm just saying like I'm I just I'm, I'm, we're not there yet. I'm super high on the twins.
0: Yeah. Farm systems I like, good I, too. They got some farm games. systems
2: right. Which tall them
0: this year? They got some arms too. Faced a couple guys this year really good. Really good
1: i I just want to see the twins put it together for one full year. I know they've been in the playoffs a couple of times, but it's always been like the what if so I mean they're added they're getting better Their team is better today than it was you know three months ago when the season ended, four months ago when the season ended. So be really interesting to see how that how the a l central unfolds with with that twins team being as talented as that as they are. Another move that we already talked about is Alberto Mondesi for Josh Taylor and a player to be named later. Um, You know he's going from the Kansas City Royals to the Red Sox. And my main thought process with this, and I'd love to know both of your guys' thoughts on on this, is you know Chime Bloom was brought in to kind of bring the Rays model to Boston, right? Combine the money with the Rays thought process, and how are we going to maximize that? It's been a lot of meh. A lot of bad free agent signings. A lot of just not very good teams. A lot of just mishmash. Just not mixing well. That chain bloom has created. This move to me was so Tampa Bay Rays, and I can't like say that anymore. And the reason why I say that is because Alberto Mondesi is going to have a role. He's going to be a piece. He might not hit 350. He might not hit for power. He might not be a gold glove winner, but he's going to play in certain spots. He's going to hit in a certain spot in that order. He's going to do certain things. That's going to bring more value than even wins above replacement than the stat sheet can say. And that's what the Rays have done so well over the the past multiple years. I mean, since we're talking about Joe Madden taking that team to the world series years is Take guys that you might not see on the stat sheet as valuable as they see in the position they can put them in. So, you know, Alberto Mondesi to the Red Sox. I think this is the first move that Bloom's made in recent memory that I could think that, you know, this really fits what I thought he was going to do. And you combine a move like that with a big free agent signing like Locking up Raphael Devers, and you are starting to see the pieces come together. They're still a long way away, but you are starting to see a couple pieces come together to potentially being what they envisioned when they brought bloom up from Tampa Bay.
0: And I, think I, I know the, I didn't like, really Red- ask a
1: question, but I'd love <laughs> to know your thoughts.
0: <laughs> uh, I just think, like when the Red Sox losing Bogart's tough, and then now Trevor Story being out. I mean, he's going to have to fill a pretty big role with the with the Red Sox this year, but I, I also like the part, this is kind of just random off topic a little bit, but when teams like trade, like you're talking about, they don't see it on the stat sheet. There's something they see every player when there's like mm-hmm. every team sees players differently. So I yes. think it's interesting to see how like the Red Sox might either change or just like go about like his player development. Cause every team looks at you different, like, they think, obviously, everybody's got different thoughts and stuff, but I think that's just something interesting to look at, a little off-topic, but...
1: Yeah, no, that, that's a very interesting piece that you mentioned because Alberto Mondesi was a top prospect. He debuted in the World Series at 20 years old. He was talented as can be, and if there's something that the Red Sox believe they can get out of him, even if it just is a little bit more contact, a little bit more power, even using his speed a little bit better, putting him in a, in a position to be successful on a day-to-day basis, that's that's the value that the Red Sox see in him, and that's that's where trades you know our one is is in the nitty gritty of the behind the scenes it's it's never in like what we see in the public you know there's they have so it's much never information level. that yeah exactly they have so much information behind the scenes that that we don't know about and we're not privy to but they know what they're doing in every team even if we think it's stupid there's a thought process there even with the Marlins we might think it's stupid but there's a thought process there and they're mm-hmm. acting out on it so Dan what are your thoughts here kind of unpacking this move
2: this is the this is the first move that I'll give him credit for. Really, I, I haven't liked anything he's done leading up to this, and I know I've made the jokes, but like we were this trade away from seeing Kike Hernandez play every day shortstop, and Adam Duvall play every every day centerfield. Like, and and he was brought in to make moves like this, and I don't know what's taking him so long. And I'm not going to give him credit for Devers because he was bullied him in, into that. And like the three of us could sit here and be like, all right, we, we got to get Devers extended, especially once you lose Bogarts and i understand yeah, but that they tried to be like the
1: free agent market he, he did that, that took that's a credit to I'm more saying. ownership more ownership right right and, and then Bloom. the but negotiating was go- a the good bad. job
2: but you know you know that you have like you had to get that done like everyone's yeah, sitting you there did. like you, you did. if he doesn't get that done that like, he's on the hot seat it would have yeah. you know i don't want to talk about his job like that but i think he probably would have been in trouble and so for me it's like good job. I mean, you look at the roster and there's just so many holes still. And you look at some of the moves he's made and it doesn't I don't know what it does to me. You 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 replace Bogarts with Alberto Mondesi and Justin Turner. I mean, the, the Trevor Story thing you can't handle, but I, you know, Story hasn't produced like he did in Colorado last year and he, you know, he was banged up and you know, he has he's a streaky player. Justin Turner's, I think, on the wrong side of, of his prime. And then you look at their outfield. Their outfield's weak, even with the addition of, of Adam Duvall. Now, Masataka Yoshida, no one knows what that's going to be. Uh, but I, you're taking a chance on a guy who's coming from overseas, and you look at the, the roster, and I, it's tough. I mean, I just they, they need a lot of work, and this is where it gets hard. And, and I don't necessarily think it's fair, or I agree with it, but you're talking about a market that expects to be in the playoffs every year, no matter what. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. It's just like New York. It's, it's the same thing as New York. you got to be in the playoffs every year. I think Alberto Monesi feels a huge need, and I salute this move because this is a guy who, again, like both of you have mentioned, they might unlock something here. You don't know. And I, I think he's got all the tools. I already think he's a good player. I already think you're getting a guy who's a, a good baseball player and makes your team better just by acquiring him. If he can take a step now, now that he's in Boston and, and um, it has a change of scenery a little bit, then it's a great move and it's a, a role they need now story fills more of, of what you need at first base maybe Bob, Bobby Dahlbeck comes around Justin Turner's DH and he's playing a little first you have Dever still who's going to hit like now you can start to kind of believe that there maybe is a little bit of, of of something but that's relying on a lot of things and that's where I think it's a little bit dangerous and I, I don't love it I, I really do not like their pitching staff
1: Yeah, I mean they're they're a long way away. I'm I'm not going to sit here and say that they're going to make the playoffs, but you know we've the crazy thing about the Red Sox is they either come in last or they win a World Series. So who who, nobody ever nobody ever knows what they're actually going to do when it comes down to playing games. But the team's a long way away, and they're not. They don't have the prospect depth to make the big time moves the same way when Heimbloom was in Tampa Bay. They didn't have the prospect. They didn't have the ability to move prospects because that was their future, right? They're a long way to go on the player development side of things. They're a long way to go on the roster building side of things. They're a long way to go on a lot of things. But this is a move where you give up. Sorry to Josh Taylor. If you're a loyal listener, I apologize. You know not a valuable asset in terms of getting the ceiling on return and getting potential value back in return. And I think that's the biggest way to look at this is modesty can bring you something. Like I said, Savvy, right? That is beyond the stat sheet, that is beyond what he does on a day to day basis. Maybe it's something that you see in the player development, and that has been what the Rays did so successfully. That's what they still continue to do successfully. The Red Sox still have a long way to go. They still have a lot of moves to make, they still have a lot of things to do in that department. But, you know, I really can't help but but see this as at least a good move. It might not even change anything. I'm blue might be out of a job in a year and a half because the roster is such a, such a, you know, crap shoot right now, but this has finally been a move that he makes. That's, you know, you can give credit to, to his thought process and, and kind of go from there. So any last thoughts, Colin on, on this move, anything that you kind of thought about as we were talking,
0: bring up Brandon Walter. Yeah. Come on in. i would like their pitching staff a lot more. Bring him up. For all you guys Seriously? don't know, Brandon Walter, Delaware, you know, late draft pick, senior sign. Now he's on the forty man roster with the Red Sox, and boy, when he gets there, you guys better be ready.
2: Hopefully, Disgusting. He gets there. Yeah. Get go, yeah. If you if you're curious <laughs> and you're listening, go go just find some Brandon Walter video because I mean, you want to talk about being able to spin the baseball?
0: Whew! It is not fun to play catch with that guy
2: because it is that
0: good. That's my last thought. Now I can move on. Nah, <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> no, I love that. That's that's the insider stuff we're looking for. And and Brandon Walters last year pitched to a 2-8-8 in with uh, Portland and struck out, let's see, 68 hitters in 50 innings um, starting. So <laughs> La- Look at last Sox year. Sox will be it was
0: ridiculous.
1: Yeah, the year before, two years 2021. Ago, yeah. yeah, he pitched, let's see, 89 innings, 132 strikeouts. Sheesh punching tickets out there is that good uh that's a guy to keep keep an eye out on uh, for for anybody who's who's in some deep prospect depths there uh you're gonna see a guy who's gonna be producing that at the big league level the last thought uh we'll kind of cover here it's actually back to the minnesota twins you know does the michael taylor move mean that max kepler is kind of an asset that the twins can turn into more pieces you know quick thoughts there dan when you when you look at the michael taylor
2: move you know, I thought at first, yeah, this, I mean, Kepler's kind of in trouble when you look at their roster and what they do with the Twins. But now that I think about it, I, I just love, I, I, I don't think so. I think you hold on to Kepler because Kepler, we've seen Kepler has juice and Kepler can do a lot of things um, offensively that you do. And you also have a spot at first base that I think they're going to need. I think you're going to see Kepler play some first base. Um, and I think just the way this team is built, having, they're not, they're going to platoon a lot. And I think that's okay because they can do a lot of different things. I mentioned before, Michael A. Taylor coming in to be a center fielder that can get Byron Buxton off his feet once a week and still play gold glove defense is all you need right there. Now, I know Gallo DHs, but Gallo also plays a really good outfield. you know. And then you also you have go. Kirilov and Nick Gordon. You just have options. And I think Kepler getting some at-bats at first base and being an extra bat and, and you know playing 70 games next year is a legit option and reason to keep him. Um, now, if you get an offer that you can't refuse, then you got to take it. But then you look at you know, the infield, what they have. Royce Lewis comes along. Jorge Polanco and Carlos Correa are going to be in the middle. You can work Royce Lewis along, along Jose Miranda. Now, they're probably in need of an infielder, if anything, but I think Kepler can fill that void.
1: Yeah, and and for anybody that doesn't know, I I think it would be a very bad decision for the Minnesota Twins to give up on Max Kepler. I guarantee there are MLB organizations that are after this guy because if you look up his baseball savant page – it is a lot of red. There has been no hitter that has been more unlucky in terms of batted ball profile and actual production than Max Kepler over the last two years. He had a 347 expected Woba with a 309 actual Woba. He had a 338 expected this past season with a 298 actual Woba. Even the year before, he had a 340 expected Woba with a 328 actual woman. That's three straight seasons where his batted ball profile has been better than his actual production. This is a guy who's 93rd percentile in max exit velocity. He's 80th percentile in expected batting average. He's 88th percentile in K percentage. He's 84th percentile in walk percentage. He is 97th percentile in outs above average. So You know, when you start to look at this guy and what he is on the stat sheet of 227, 318, 348 with nine homers and three stolen bases, that might not be a guy that that you really think you need. But if you're really going to try to build a playoff contender as the Minnesota Twins and as somebody that is not going into the free agent market and signing big-name free agents, I know they luckily got Carlos Correa back, Um but this is a guy that you kind of need to hold on to as long as you can because the the batted ball profile and the performance do not match up, and it's going to be interesting to see because I have I imagine there's there's a thing called karma here and and that roller coaster ride for Max Kepler is about to hit a big upswing and there's you know if the Twins do walk away from him and, and give him I guarantee it's going to be like to the Los Angeles Dodgers and they're going to have a 35 homer guy hitting 320 and everybody's <laughs> going to be like where'd this guy come from the Dodgers do it again. Well, the Twins did it, you know, it's nothing that the Twins have done here, you know, Max Kepler is a guy who's hit the ball, you know, if you're a process-oriented guy, pretty much as good as you can to not, to not have any results shown for it, so, you know, Colin, I do want to, you know, ask you, what, hey, how hard is that? Something just the player side of things of being a guy that like whether you, it would be on the mound of your K percentage and with percentage being like above average, but you're out there trotting out and looking up at the scoreboard with a four or five. That, you know, from your standpoint, how, how must that feel to be like Max Kepler at the big league level hitting two thirty with uh, with elite batted ball profiles?
0: It's the most unlucky thing in the world. It's like I mean I don't know how what his mind is, but it's like you're probably sitting there like. Like, what is going on? Like, it's like, yeah. I feel like I'm doing everything right, but I think, oh, I think we're all like, I like the mental part, but I'm sure in his mind, like, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm basically going to catch a break, which I'm sure he will. But I think what we can really take from this is the Twins are a team to look out for. I think it's going to yeah. be very exciting to watch. Buy them in, Buy in. I mean, I mean, it's, they're going to be really good. They got some dudes that come up, you know. It was Louis Varlin. I remember seeing him pitch last year. Stud. And then they had some, I can't remember his name. Another funky righty that carved us. Incredible. Big, tall lefty. I can't remember his. I'm just naming the guys, but I'm excited to see what they end up.
1: Yeah, they do do a very good job on the player development side. Very, very good job. So um, last thing, breaking news. We're sitting here on, what is it? Tuesday, January twenty fourth, Scott Rowland was inducted to the Hall of Fame at a seventy six percent vote. Todd Helton was the next closest, which if anybody has any has a moment to look up Todd Helton's numbers.
2: No, you're, no, no, we're not talking. Can we not talk about this? I have no respect for the Hall of Fame voters. I take zero. No, I have no I, respect I for care. the Hall of Fame voters. I've, I do not care who goes into the Hall of Fame anymore. They've ruined no. the Hall of Fame Major League Baseball. The fact Todd Helton is still on the ballot and can't get in, go look at Todd Helton's numbers, someone. I just was texting Bonkers. my friends legitimately right now, and I said we need to start a legitimate political campaign Go door to door, buy a URL, make flyers, get Todd Helton to Cooperstown. This is a joke. I don't care that he played in Colorado. The dude raked wherever he went, and he was a he was a, a great defensive first baseman. I know you just looked him up, Trevor. Read some of his his darn numbers. This gets me so, so in the fired year
1: 2000, up. he hit 372, 463, 698 with a 1.0 OPS and a 163 OPS plus. Followed that up with a 160 OPS plus the next year with a you know slacking 336 average we'll just go average here because slugging's too hard to calculate in your brain. Then it's he went the 329, 350, yeah, 358, 347, 320, 302, 320, 264, 325, 256, 302, 238, 249 at the back end of 38, 39. He's a 316 career hitter, 300-400-500/line on a career with a 950 OPS. How many homers? Um 1 133 OPS+ plus with 369 homers, I believe, if I'm looking at that right. Um, four, three gold gloves, five silver sluggers, I believe. Um, just a guy that deserves a lot more credit than Colorado. No Colorado. He's a 61 total career war. I mean, it, how do you leave that guy the out?
0: Hardest thing to do in sports. And this guy's harder seventeen at the big league level. He yeah. belongs – Ingers. Belongs this is, for 17 this years, is,
1: he's hitting 317. 17 not to mention,
0: years.
1: yeah, through through 20 age 26 through 30, he never hit below 329, which Luis Arias won the batting title this year at 316. Um, for anybody keeping track of, would you rather have Todd Helton or Luis Arias? Um,
2: Kim Ng would rather have got, Luis Arias, I'd have Todd Helton. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm not going to say the first thing that came to mind because when you open that tweet, there's – no. that's not anyway, a very nice picture. Um, anyway. Listen,
2: I also have some breaking news that's uh, less good, and I just r- roll through this, and this is actually kind of serious. But uh, Mike Clevenger just signed a one-year deal with the Chicago White Sox is under investigation for domestic abuse so, and uh, uh, child abuse. Um, Jesus. Including one time last summer when they were on the road in L.A. where he – choked his child's mother and um through used chewing tobacco on his child so uh jesus the white Sox were not aware he's under investigation we'll see what comes of that obviously we know what all has gone on with trevor bauer um but we have oh, also yes. had a lot of these situations like a role as chapman it's never okay i take a strong stance on this and if you're ever guilty accused there's anything like this then i think you're just uh, no words you're not a good person and i hope mike clevenger honestly gets released
0: yeah, I'm,
1: I'm, sure the, I'm sure the White Sox are oh, – well, the White Sox are the same organization that hired Tony Loverso. But let's not open that bag of worms. We, we nope. don't, I, I want to eat dinner at a reasonable time tonight. So Let's go eat dinner. Um, but Yeah, exactly. So uh, that will do with this episode of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Make sure you're liking, sharing, subscribing. Uh, the most important thing is sharing with five friends. We also are going to start a campaign here on the podcast with the Backside Ground Balls book of the week. Um, And it's going to have an Amazon link in every... Um, description: Any Amazon shopping that you do go through that link, it's just going to help this podcast grow. Um, you know, you could go on there and buy protein powder, you can buy dog treats, but if you use the link that's going to be in every episode, um, it's just going to help uh, the podcast grow. We get a little bit of kickback there from from Amazon. So I know a lot of our listeners probably do a ton of Amazon shopping. So make sure you're checking out that link as best as possible and, and helping this podcast grow any way you can. So um, real important piece there, but. Um, That's all I got for today. So until next time, we'll see you guys on the next podcast.
2: Put Todd Helton in the Hall of Fame.